0: On February 17, 1970, at 3.45 a.m., military police on board Army Base Fort Bragg, North Carolina, were dispatched to 544 Castle Drive for what they believed to be a domestic disturbance. When they arrived, they walked into one of the most horrific, heavily debated, and litigated crimes of this century, the murders of Colette, Kimberly, and Kristen McDonald. Hello, and welcome to today's episode of Dr. Crime, a true crime podcast hosted by me, Rebecca, a criminologist, and me, Justice, a doctor of forensic psychology. You won't find clickbait titles, selfie thumbnails, or spooky music to set the mood here, but what you will find is ethical true crime with extra focus on empathy, accuracy, and a viewpoint from professionals.
1: So grab your coffee and let's get started
0: everyone. Welcome to today's episode of Dr. Crime. Today, we're going to be discussing the murder of children, a pregnant woman and other graphic themes. So please proceed with caution. This is a huge case. And there's, it's probably gonna be a pretty long episode. So I'm not going to go too much into the background of the McDonald family. Uh, I do want to quickly say Jeffrey and Colette they met in high school in New York. They'd gotten married, they had their two daughters, Jeffrey ended up going to med school and then he joined the army where he was a green beret so he was a doctor in the army and was also a green beret so he was special forces uh, colette stayed home with our two daughters and she attended night school she was taking classes to become a teacher um, so to everyone around them it kind of seemed like they had the american dream and there was nothing happening that could predict what horrific things were coming for this family On February 17th of 1970, when military police arrived at 544 Castle Drive, they found the front door locked, so they walked around and found the back door of the house open. One military policeman, I'll be calling them MPs from here on out, uh, one MP entered. In the master bedroom, he found two adults laying on the floor. One of these was Colette McDonald, who was covered in blood and obviously deceased, the other was her husband, Jeffrey McDonald, lying next to her with his head on her chest. He was breathing. He appeared unconscious at first, but he came to kind of saying that he couldn't breathe. He was gasping for breath. And while he was doing this, he was begging the police in you know as many words as he could to check on his family. He was in and out of consciousness. And during one of his bouts of consciousness, he told the MPs that intruders had come in and harmed him and his family. These intruders were specifically two white men, a black man, and a white woman in a floppy hat. He said they'd been carrying candles and chanting, acid is groovy, kill the pigs, before he lost consciousness again. In the other bedrooms of the home, police would find the remains of six-year-old Kimberly and two-year-old Kristen McDonald. I want to start by discussing the injuries to each member of the McDonald family.
1: Now, this is going to get pretty graphic, so again, we do want to warn you, and just please proceed with caution.
0: I do, I I also wanted to say, just in case anyone is kind of like me, and with these bigger cases, they look up maybe the scene or the setting to get some more, like, mental clarity on it. I do want to say, if you do look that up in this case, you will find very graphic crime scene and autopsy photos, um, so please, if you're if you, that's not something you want to see, just, you know, be careful. I am going to begin with Colette, um, Jeffrey's wife. She was found in the master bedroom, laying on her back in a large pool of blood. She had her legs spread, one eye open, her left breast was partially exposed, and her left arm was extended over her head. She was wearing pink pajamas, which were heavily stained with blood. A bloody, torn blue pajama top was laid across her chest, and a bloody bath mat was also draped across her abdomen. In that room, in the master bedroom, there was blood on the ceiling. There were some pieces of a surgical glove found, wood splinters, a pocket from the blue pajama top that had come, you know, undone, and a paring knife with a bent blade found laying next to her body. Um, The bed in the room was covered in a bloody sheet that had a large stain on it that would later be determined to be urine, and the rest of the bedding was near the door to the bedroom near a suitcase. The word pig was written on the headboard in what appeared to be blood. Colette had been stabbed 37 times with two different objects. She had 21 small round stab wounds. So like those that would come from an object similar to an ice pick. Um, These are in her chest and her upper left arm. And she had 16 elliptical gaping incisional wounds, like those that would come from a knife, uh, to her chest, her neck, and her abdomen. She had massive internal bleeding, three large lacerations to the head that were caused by a blunt object and caused her to have a skull fracture. She also had a fractured right wrist, left wrist, and left forearm. And it was noted in her autopsy that she was four months pregnant with a baby boy. Oh my god, she was pregnant? Yeah, she was four months pregnant. So she was pretty, pretty far along. Yeah, and I, like I mentioned, these crime scene photos are available and it's just, it's gruesome. The scene is gruesome. Um, six-year-old Kimberly was found laying on her left side tucked into her bed. Her mattress and her pillow were both soaked in blood. There was blood spatter on the wall next to her bed and the ceiling above it. She had been hit numerous times with a blunt object, hard enough to cause multiple skull fractures, and hard enough to break and dislodge her nose. She uh, was also stabbed eight to ten times in the neck with the knife-like object, And the uh, medical examiners weren't 100% able to tell, but they believe that the um, beating with the blunt object happened before she was stabbed. Two-year-old Kristen was also found laying in her bed on her left side. Her left arm was outstretched, and an almost empty baby bottle lay right next to her mouth. Her sheets and her pillow were also soaked in blood. There was blood on the wall next to her bed all over her floor, and there was a bloody, bare footprint leaving her room. She was stabbed over 20 times to the cheek and neck, and 12 more times in the back, both with the knife-like object and the ice-pick-like object. Um, This is, like, the saddest part to me, but she had very deep cuts to her hands, which appeared to be defensive wounds. So, for uh, anyone who maybe isn't really sure what that means, it means she probably woke up During her attack, and put her hands up to try and stop what was happening. Yeah, so that's the that's the worst of it. Um, very very heavy. Um, very yeah. Jeffrey's injuries uh, were very mild in comparison. So he had a few superficial lacerations to his left arm and forehead, and his only other injury was a one centimeter stab to the chest which was done right in between two ribs and caused one of his lungs to partially collapse. So let's kind of take a second here. Um, I know that that was, like I said, that was heavy. But Justice, I know we've talked about drowning as a choice of murder in some of our previous episodes. Can you tell us a little bit about stabbing and especially to this level of brutality? Like, what could this suggest about the murderer?
1: There is so much here so first and foremost stabbing um stabbing is very indicative of a knowing your victim I mean it obviously most crime happens with someone you know anyway um unless it's a last resort of of like self-defense um anyone who has the intent to stab is it's someone that you're very personal with um that mm-hmm. tends to be one of the most personal ways you can kill someone is by stabbing them is that yeah. because
0: they're like close in proximity? Exactly. Yep. The, cl- the
1: um, stabbing and strangulation. If you see those on our crime scene, it's very, very likely that there is a sexual issue with the offender, whether they have a sexual relationship with the victim or they are sexually frustrated in their own life. Um, you will see you will see that common in stabbing and strangulation. That doesn't happen for every single case. Um, you know, there's always the exception to the rule. But it is very, very common. Um, the fact that the girls were tucked in does indicate that there is some, I know it's very hard to say with how just gruesome it is, there is some form of empathy and remorse. Yeah. Some. Some, some
0: care was taken of There them.
1: was some form of care in there because if it was just, I mean, obviously we know it was cold-blooded, but tucking them back in really does say that there is an em- emotional connection to the children um you know we talked about that in the andrea yates case where she covered mm-hmm. them with sheets it was very empathetic uh so something kind of similar here and then of course just being stabbed that many times is such overkill there is so so much overkill at that point point. Um, and basically overkill is when the offender knows that they've killed the person uh, but they keep doing it because it's a release So it's a release of anger, it's a release of aggression, it's a release of emotion, it's a release of everything, and also can indicate psychosis as well. Um, Not always, I'd say 50-50% of the time, um, because they're on that high. Yeah. But this doesn't seem to me like that there is a high involved. Um, And the fact that Pig was written on the headboard, um, that definitely speaks a lot too, because I know that... um, when Jeffrey was coming to you, he had made the comment about like the acid and the pigs, Mm -hmm. you know, he made that statement. Um, but also pig is very commonly used as a derogatory term towards females, particularly as they're gaining weight, um, particularly from actual narcissism. See previous episode for that. Um, It's very, very common for a narcissist to make derogatory terms. Now, we know that the wife was four months pregnant, um, meaning that there would obviously be weight gain. So to a narcissist, that's not always a good thing. And I'm not saying that Jeffrey was a narcissist, but
0: kind of makes Um, sense. I know that we talked about not, you know, not prematurely diagnosing but actually in the court transcripts a forensic psychologist did diagnose him uh, as a narcissist
1: oh Mm -hmm. well this is awkward um (laughs) anyway so it would be the the word i i feel like the big thing if i were to go on this case um it wouldn't be focusing on the overkill it wouldn't be focusing on the empathy with the girl you know with the two children it would be on the word pig written in blood because that to me is telling me that the offender
0: has it out. So the word pig is interesting. I have a there. there's a big theory around the word pig. We'll kind of touch on it later, Um, but it's 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 going to come back up. Okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I'm going to be completely honest. Like I read over the script, but I don't know too, too much about this case. So I'm kind of learning with the viewers about this case. (laughs) Um, You know, Rebecca
0: had kind of told me what this case is about. I was like,
1: okay, I, you know, I'm pretty good with that information. So um.
0: I, I love that you don't know this case because this is one of those cases that I have done so much research and I've, I actually went to Fort Bragg. Um, very eerily people still live in the house, which I think is crazy. The army just left it. But um yeah, I'm really I am really interested to see sort of where you end up at the end of this episode.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'll definitely give my thoughts. But like I said, if just from what I know now, I kind of know a tiny bit of what's coming again, I only had a chance to skim through the skim through the case um and what we know out there. But I would definitely be very focused on the word pig. Um, I know that Jeffrey didn't have a lot of, he didn't have a lot of injuries. Um, and of course he was a doctor and the fact that there was a precise cut yep. to partially collapse along lung, a surgical glove found. Of course, our listeners aren't stupid. We aren't stupid. Of course, that's not looking super great for Jeffrey at that point.
0: Ooh, okay. <laughs> So uh, let's get back to the crime scene. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a few more details about the scene itself. And then we'll sort of circle back to what happened to the McDonald family. Okay. First, I want to point out, shocker, the scene was not well maintained. Oh, my God. I'm so surprised, Rebecca. (laughs) There were a ton of people trampling in and out of this house. It was raining that day, so these are dirty shoes, the people that were coming in and out were not wearing booties, they were not wearing hairnets, some of them were <sighs> wearing gloves. Um, this is not only, of course, detrimental to the crime scene, it becomes a huge problem later when a lot of this really important evidence was contaminated or even destroyed. Like, Uh, I mentioned a bloody footprint. There's a lot of speculation about whose footprint it is. A lot of people say, oh, it's Jeffrey's footprint and it was made in Colette's blood. But the print was destroyed when they were trying to pull out the floorboard. So we don't know. Um, And that kind of happens a lot in this case where there's things that people take as fact and it really just ends up being like the MPs came in and accidentally knocked some shit over. So. We've discussed the three bedrooms of the house. I'm going to quickly talk about some of the other rooms. The living room seemed undisturbed besides a coffee table that was laying on its side, a pair of reading glasses that had Kristen's blood on them. There was a plant in the living room that was knocked over, but this was done by the investigators. And the coffee table was resting on a stack of magazines Notably, a copy of Esquire magazine that had a feature in it about the Manson family. The dining room was also undisturbed, except for some smeared blood near the entrance into the kitchen. In the kitchen, the phone was hanging off the hook. There was a small amount of blood in several locations, such as the refrigerator, the stove, the sink, the walls, and beneath and in front of the sink, like someone had been standing there bleeding. The hallway bathroom also had small amounts of blood in several places, such as all around the sink, the bathtub, the wall, and the closet door, which is where Jeffrey held medical supplies, such as surgical gloves and scalpels. The exterior of the home was undisturbed other than right outside the back door, where the investigators found an ice pick, a knife, and a bloody wooden club.
1: Okay, so what I'm gathering from here is it kind of sounds like that the main struggles happened in the bedrooms, but there wasn't too much of a struggle anywhere else in the house, and it maybe looks like someone
0: tried to clean themselves up? Yeah, that's definitely what it looks like, especially with, like, the blood sort of right in front of the sinks, mm-hmm. especially. Um, but interesting that you mentioned it seems like the main struggle happened in the bedroom because let's talk about what jeffrey said happened okay. uh, and then we'll come back to some of this evidence mm-hmm. so i mentioned that jeffrey did have a partially collapsed lung so he was taken to the icu at womack army hospital and he ended up staying there for nine days while he recovered his version of events is that on february 15th to february 16th he worked a 24-hour shift in the hospital 6 a.m to 6 a.m and then he worked his regular work hours on the 16th. So when he came home, he was exhausted. But he still took his daughters to the base stables to go feed a horse that he'd purchased them for Christmas. Okay. They came home that night. They had dinner. Colette, uh, I mentioned she was attending night school. She was actually taking a sight class. So she left. He took care of the girls. He put Kristen in bed around 7. And then he was so tired, he fell asleep on the living room floor for about an hour Kimberly woke him up uh, around 8 to watch a TV show together, and then he put her to bed around 9.
1: Okay, so this man has been up for 36 hours with the exception of the one-hour nap.
0: Correct. And he did say while he was at his 24-hour shift at the hospital, he was allowed to, you know, get some naps in, but of course, it wasn't. It's
1: not the same, right? Right, exactly. Right. So, so he, he's running on little to no sleep. 36 hours awake.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, I just want to make that clear because I think that that's going to play a role in here somewhere, I think. But okay.
0: Yep. At 9.40, Colette came home. And I find this really weird. I can't find clarification. And I have been looking ad nauseum. Everywhere that I've read, it says that they had, like, alcoholic drinks together. Like a nightcap. But she was pregnant. I don't know if she was having a glass of wine. I don't. I don't know. But they had drinks together. And then... Collette went to bed mind you Jeffrey who has been up for 36 hours stayed up reading until 2 a.m and then when he went to go ahead and go get in bed he found the two-year-old Kristen in his spot in the bed and that she had wet their bed so he took her to her own room and then he went to go sleep on the living room couch not wanting to wake up Colette. Great. he wasn't sure how long exactly he slept but he was woken up by the sounds of his wife and daughter screaming, and he saw four people standing around him. There was a black man wearing an army jacket, two white men, one with a mustache, and a blonde woman with a floppy white hat and white boots who was carrying a candle and chanting, acid is groovy, kill the pigs. Jeffrey tried to get up, but he was hit in the head with a blunt object He started fighting with the men and in the struggle, his pajama top was pulled up over his head. So like from the bottom back of it, Mm -hmm. pulled up and over his head and it was just hanging on by the wrist cuffs. Uh, He said he felt himself what he thought was be stabbed in the chest. And then he collapsed. When he came to again, he woke up to a silent house. He went room to room trying to resuscitate his dead family He removed the knife from his wife's chest and threw it on the ground. He covered her with his pajama top and then his bath mat. He called the police twice. Um, The first time, I believe, is because he called the Fayetteville Police Department. And Fayetteville is the city that Fort Bragg is in. Um, And when he got in touch with their dispatch, they said, no, 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 no. Because you're on base, you need to call the military police. So he called the military police and he said, people are dying and then he waited with his wife until they arrived.
1: Okay, so um I have a lot of questions about on about every sentence you just had. Literally every sentence, yeah. Literally every sentence. So the first question I have is he woke up with people around him and he said to the four people woke up to his wife and children screaming. So how were they screaming upstairs if all four of them were surrounding him? right wouldn't they be doing something different like hiding also
0: remember per the crime scene there is not a struggle in the living room and according to him this is happening in the living room
1: right oh yeah right that was my next question so you beat me to that one (laughs) um he is a doctor and he removed the knife from the chest i am not a doctor and i know that if you've been stabbed with something you don't remove it yep he is a doctor. I mean, I technically am too, but we're not going to go down that road. It's different. <laughs> we're not Ben Shapiro. We don't have to worry about that. Oh, um, no. Then, Okay. So then he covers. I have to wrap my head around this. So he's covering her with his top, which which I know, like, my mom had ever taught me, like, if someone's bleeding, how to use a shirt as a tourniquet. Like, okay.
0: I but, think it may have been, like, a stop her from going into shock. Fair enough.
1: Right. Okay. But then they called the police. And the first time, they're like, no, you're on base. You have to call military police, which that's... I'm not I'm not a military family, so that, to me, like, like blows my mind. I feel like I always just... If you're in trouble, you call 911. That's why it's 911 and it's, like, ingrained in you.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: anyway. I've to say people are dying. That's such... An interesting way to put it for
0: your wife and children after you've been a- supposedly attacked. And, mm. Right. He didn't say my kids are dying. My wife is dead. No, He's, people, people are, dying. are dying. Yeah. Um. A lot of yeah. things Jeffrey's story seem really off, and yeah. the uh, the army agreed, and Jeffrey was placed under investigation for the murders of his family by CID which is the criminal investigation division it's like ncis for the army right. um the thing is even when they took jeffrey into like quote custody while he was under investigation he was living in officer barracks with a guard outside that didn't really guard anything he did like he yeah. got treated royalty um but like i said uh I want to go back to the crime scene a little bit and let's talk about some interesting things CID noticed about the crime scene.
1: Okay. And for the, our listeners, CID is a criminal investigation division of the military.
0: Yes. So the word pig, like we talked about was written on the headboard in blood, but this writing didn't have fingerprints on it. So this, along with the pieces of glove that were found near Colette in the same room led investigators to believe that the individual who wrote it was wearing gloves. Like we mentioned, the McDonald's had gloves in their hall closet, which there was blood on the entrance to. Right. The word pig is interesting for another reason. It ties into that Esquire magazine I mentioned under the coffee table. That edition featured a story about the Manson family, who at the crime scene on Cielo Drive, wrote pig on the walls in blood. That's right.
1: So, I mean, yeah, now that I think about it, there's actually a few similar- similarities between the Manson family and Jeffrey's story. Um, the hippies breaking in and chanting, acid is groovy, kill the pig, seems to be a near-identical copycat.
0: Yeah, it gets a little grim, too, when you think about Sharon Tate also um, being pregnant. Yeah. It's very yeah. innocent, and so a lot of people who... Because as we'll kind of get into it later, a lo- this case is very polarizing. People either think Jeffrey did it or people think Jeffrey's innocent. And the people that are in the Jeffrey did it camp think that he may have gotten inspiration from the magazine. And re- remember, this is 1970. Right. So the Manson family, everybody at this time period was afraid of hippies breaking into their home. and Right. Um, speaking of that coffee table, though, the coffee table that the magazine was resting on. I'm sorry. I think I said that backwards. (laughs) The coffee table the magazine was under the it's one of the weirdest, most discussed things in this case because when they when investigators walked in, that coffee table was knocked onto its side. The prosecution later uses solid evidence that the crime scene was staged because, according to investigators, there was no possible way that coffee table would end up on its side. They said it would flip all the way over. It would never end up that way. They hired mechanical engineers to say it was impossible. There was these diagrams. There was these expert witnesses. It was a lot. But finally, the army judge that was in charge of this case was kind of like, look, this seems like bullshit. And he went over to the McDonald's home, tipped over the table, and it landed right on its side. (laughs) So do without what you will. Um, The murder weapons that were found outside the home were all determined to have come from inside the McDonald home, and the club had dark fibers on it, matched the pajama top that was found. By Colette. Okay. So,
1: all the murder weapons came from inside the house.
0: Correct. Yeah. Okay. The fibers that were on it ended up being very telling. So, that pajama top that was found on Colette. First of all, about the pajama top, it had over 60 stab holes in it, particularly made with that ice pick stab. When they opened the shirt up and looked at it, all of these holes were also perfectly round. So if you think about holding a cloth in front of you and you, you know, pretend like you're stabbing something, you're not going to stab straight through the cloth. It's going to pull it down a little bit. Mm -hmm. And create almost like a teardrop shape. Right. They were perfectly round stabs. And it was stabbed over 60 times. Jeffrey claims he laid it on Colette after the attacks, but he wasn't stabbed 60 times. So was right. he the living person? Right. Investigators were able to kind of move that fabric around and overlap it to show that it could have been laid on Colette before she was stabbed. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. But the fibers. Remember, Jeffrey said he was attacked in the living room. This is where the pajama top was allegedly pulled over his head. But there were zero fibers found in the living room from it. And they were everywhere else, including under Colette's body, in both of his daughter's bedrooms, under their blankets, in bed with them. Which, according to Jeffrey, he wasn't wearing the pajama top at this time. Okay. Um, they're in fingernails, under fingernails of one of the daughters. The pajama fibers are everywhere except for the living room.
1: Of course, where he was sleeping and the intruders supposedly pulled the shirt over his head.
0: Right. And that's where that big struggle happened, where he was fighting them as well. Now, do you know what time this crime happened? So, Jeffrey says he went to sleep at 2 a.m. Okay. And exactly when it happened. But the call was placed at 3.45, so there's a very short turnaround.
1: Okay. Because I'm just thinking, too, because he had been up for 36 hours Mm -hmm. with very little sleep, and then he went out with his family, could the lack of sleep have done anything to his psyche? Could it... Could he have really been innocent, but because of his sleep deprivation, did he misinterpret events happening?
0: That's very possible.
1: I'm not saying that that is. I I haven't made a determination yet, but sleep deprivation can make you do terrible things. So that's why I'm kind of wondering how much sleep had he gotten between going to bed when this happened because if it happened like an hour after you know the, you know, the 911 call was placed an hour after whatever then that's one thing as opposed to like six hours
0: no he didn't get any kind of sleep like that that okay. we know okay um also just a quick this doesn't really fit anywhere else but in his daughter's bedrooms and on the coffee table they were wax strippings that couldn't be identified to anywhere definitively in the mcdonald's house but
1: okay,
0: yeah. Go ahead. Yeah.
1: Because he, so he said that one of the intruders was carrying a candle. So one of the questions I was going to ask at like kind of the next break was, did they find any, any wax drippings anywhere? If she was carrying a candle, as as an avid candle lighter myself, <laughs> there's wax.
0: So they did find unidentified wax drippings, but it would kind of come up as a legal thing later and they would say, well, here's the thing, Paulette loved candles. She burned candles all the time. So maybe yeah. it was a candle she burnt and then got rid of and that's why it doesn't match anything else.
1: Yeah, that's very true.
0: But they did. Um, he said that woman in the white hat and the boots was, she is a very interesting person to this case. And her, the woman in the white hat specifically I think is what causes a lot of people to hinge on whether or not they think Jeffrey did it. Okay. So, one of the military policemen who responded to the scene on his way there saw a white woman with a floppy white hat standing on a corner about a block away from the McDonald House. No one did anything about this, and no one investigated it further. When Jeffrey's story began circulating, a detective in the area said said, thought he knew a woman who matched that female intruder's description. She was an informant who was named Helena Stokely. She was found and questioned the day after the murders, but she ended up being released. Now, (laughs) Helena's neighbor and roommate said that they saw her arrive home in a blue car with her boyfriend, Greg Mitchell, between 3 and 4.30 a.m. on the morning of the murders. Helena's neighbor also said she heard Helena say that she had been at the McDonald House during those murders, but she was so high on ethnicity and mescaline that she couldn't even remember what happened. And Helena confessed. And confessed to quite a few people. And to other things that Jeffrey didn't even say she did. Like, she said she stole from Colette's jewelry box weeks before the murders happened she also specifically remembered a broken rocking horse that was at the McDonald home. And there was a broken rocking horse at the McDonald home. Okay. A, pic- a picture of it was shown in the newspaper, but it didn't show the broken part. Helena ended up being called to court to testify. She denied her involvement of co- in court, but then she would come back later and say actually she was there. And that there was this whole thing where the hippies were trying to get Jeffrey McDonald to give them drugs because he was a doctor and he wouldn't give it to them. She also was admittedly a witch and she said that on the evening of the murders her and the other individuals with were doing a ritual that involved sacrifices and candles. This came from her own mouth. Okay. Right unfortunately helena passed away during the trial so we really don't ever know we do know helena owned white boots and a floppy hat which she got rid of shortly after the murders we all know polygraphs are fucking bullshit but she passed one denying her involvement okay and the military police who saw that woman on the corner in the white hat said it wasn't helena whoa Right, so this is kind of, she. I understand why she trips so many people up, because me too. Right. It seems like there's a lot of details that she wouldn't know unless she was there, but there's also no DNA evidence that she was there. Right. It's also interesting that her, I don't know if this, you know, maybe it's just my brain that makes sense, but. She didn't get home until three to four the morning of the murders, which would be the exact time. Mm -hmm. You know, leaving the McDonald house, giving Jeffrey time to wake up. She would get home right at that time if she was there. Oh, and you know, one thing I was also
1: thinking about earlier too, was what does their financial situation look like? Because we do have a male in the army they can be gamblers, they can lose a lot of money and owe a lot of people money. And there are some crime bosses out there that will do crimes like this and then leave the person that they are trying to hurt alive so that they can deal with the trauma. Because sometimes yeah. if you kill someone, they don't have to deal with the consequences.
0: They were good financially. He was, like I said, he was a doctor, they lived in base housing. If right. They- If they weren't good financially, I haven't seen anything about it.
1: Right. I mean, I'm sure that would have come out at some point because I'm not the only person to think like that. Right. But it is something I would sit there and wonder, did he owe money to anybody? Was someone out for him? Did he, did he piss off the wrong person? I mean, he he was in the military. Did he piss off a foreign nation somehow? If that makes sense.
0: Yeah, it definitely does. Um, There's a few things about the scene that really stick out to me. One of the things is there was a suitcase in the master bedroom. Mm -hmm. It was placed on top of the blood, though. So there was blood spatter behind it and none on it, meaning it was placed there after the attacks. Almost like someone was intending to leave after the murders and then change their mind. So the blood was under the suitcase, right? Under and behind it. So, like, it was placed after the attack. Right, 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 right,
1: right. Okay, all right.
0: Um, one of the last things about the crime scene that I really want to touch on is actually the thing that I consider to be the most interesting thing about this case is I'm not even sure. I tried to figure it out. I don't even know how this is possible genetically, but every member of the McDonald family had a different blood type, which means the investigators, when they profiled the scene, they essentially were able to make a map of the crime. But um, yeah, this allowed them to, like I said, make a map of where everyone's blood was, which gave them like a timeline almost. Mm-hmm. They found Colette, Jeffrey, and Kimberly, the older daughter's blood, in the master bedroom. They found Kimberly, Collette, and Kristen's blood in Kimberly's room. And in Kristen's room, they found everyone's blood. Jeffrey's blood was also found at both the kitchen and the bathroom sinks. But he was
1: attached in the living room.
0: According to him, yes. Okay. His blood was not found in the living room.
1: His blood was not, but that's where he was stabbed. Enough to collapse a lung. Mm -hmm. So... Colette would have been uh, hold on we can edit this time out so they found Colette first or Colette had only Colette's blood in her room
0: no Kimberly
1: sorry Kimberly's the mom right
0: no 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 Colette's the mom okay older child Kristen's the baby okay yeah so in the master it's Colette jeffrey and the older daughter okay the older daughter's room in kimberly's room it's all three girls and then christian's room everyone's blood and then jeffrey's blood was also found kind of miscellaneously throughout the house in july of 1970 jeffrey's article 32 hearing was held this is like the military equivalent of a preliminary hearing. It just determines if there's enough evidence to charge someone. And the army said that there was not. And they declared Jeffrey innocent. Now, I know that sounds like a weird thing to say, but no, they literally declared him innocent. They didn't say not guilty. They said innocent.
1: Oh, that's that's also not common in cases.
0: No, especially not military cases. Yeah. At this point in time, Colette's family was really sticking by Jeffrey's side. His father-in-law, so Colette's stepfather, Freddie Kassab, said on live television that if he had another daughter, he would want the same son-in-law. They were there for Jeffrey through and through. But right after Jeffrey was found innocent, he got out of the army, sold everything he owned in a yard sale, and he moved to New York, which is where he was from. Okay. Um, Freddie was not impressed by Jeffrey seemingly doing nothing, so he requested transcripts of that article 32 hearing and this proved to be a fatal mistake for jeffrey freddie found a ton of inconsistencies in jeffrey's story he even got in touch with fort bragg he ended up revisiting the crime scene and a lot of really questionable started coming out including the fact that jeffrey lied to the investigators about a couple things but one of them is that he tried to say that they had a perfect marriage but it was discovered during this investigation he had multiple affairs and Jeffrey McDonald told the investigators that they weren't really that serious because he always wore his ring and basically they were all one night stands while he was in school and stuff so like he was still faithful to his wife in his eyes. Ugh. Yeah. Got it. <laughs> yeah. It was also discovered that Colette had called home a few days before the murders and she told her parents was leaving for a few months because he was going to Russia as the doctor for the Fort Bragg boxing team. But this was a lie. Um, Jeffrey did train with the Fort Bragg boxing team. He, he did do their physician stuff for them. There was no Russia trip planned. And Colette was really upset that he was leaving because she was going to be at the end of her high-risk pregnancy alone. She actually told her parents she wanted to come home and they told her, give it till spring See if things calm down, and then if you need us, we'll be here. Okay, Jeffrey. I think this part will you'll find particularly interesting. Um, Jeffrey was also taking amphetamines for weight loss in the weeks leading up to the murders.
1: Oh, uh, amphetamines can cause aggression, short temperedness hallucinations. They can cause so many ish. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, you mean especially when they're paired with sleep not- deprivation? Yeah. Yep, And drinking, because don't forget they were drinking. Oh oh my god. Yeah, they can be very dangerous. Yeah, Freddie pressed Jeffrey about what the fuck happened and Jeffrey responded by lying to him and telling him that him and some of his Green Beret buddies had tracked down one of the intruders and tortured and killed them. That never happened. While all of this is still going on, jeffrey moved to california where he was an er doctor in long beach he was living the life he bought a yacht he bought a condo he also did so many media appearances around this you can youtube it and you can find jeffrey on like six different talk shows he he loved the daytime talk shows he loved the attention he was such like the all-american boy and everybody loved him and he exaggerated his injuries on tv one time in one of the talk shows he said he got stabbed 20 times
1: okay hold on time out pause Mm -hmm. does this sound familiar about what we talked about last week on narcissism
0: like i said jeffrey was uh was diagnosed as a narcissist because you have
1: the exaggeration. And, of course, the pig. I cannot get the words pig because that is such... In a narcissist's mind, a pig is the most derogatory term you can use. Yeah. And he was having one-night stands probably because they were thinner and prettier and didn't have a bulging belly. like a. F- I mean, I know at four months you're not really showing, but...
0: Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Yep. Yeah. Mm. right. Let's move on. These, the, the media appearances are really... <laughs>
1: That I'm trying to not think about it because that's just telling me everything I need to know. And then he, was, he exaggerates.
0: Yeah. It's when the worst, you don't need to exaggerate when you're talking about the injury.
1: Hold on. Can you actually repeat that? Because you cut in and out really bad.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. He lied and exaggerated about his injuries. But if he would have just told the truth about his family, like there's no need to exaggerate. In- he, he made it about himself. Um There was one that I watched where he was, quote, hypnotized on live TV to try and remember what happened, and he's literally laying there like, no, please don't come in. I see a man in my house. I see a woman, and she's chanting. It's so fake. It's ugh. (laughs) Anyways, so Jeffrey McDonald was free. He was a free man until 1977. This is when the Supreme Court announced that it would hear the Army's appeal, which was spearheaded by Freddie Cassatt. 16 months later, in July of 1979, which is over nine years after the murders, his trial began. One interesting thing of note to me, uh, like I mentioned, I did read through the psychiatrist notes on Jeffrey McDonald. His psychiatrist, mind you, this is the 70s, so, you know, psychiatry, psychology, a little bit different, but... He put that Jeffrey had some quote possible latent homosexual conflicts, and quote a narcissistic need to be famous or infamous. Yeah, um, we can cut this out if you want. But what, what, what are you, The possible latent homosexual conflicts. I know that you mentioned in the very beginning that stabbing could have a sexual motive behind it.
1: i just don't want to to read the scripts before i go into this because what the fuck
0: (laughs) i do wonder like what the forensic psychologist what did they see that made them come to the conclusion that he had some possible latent homosexual conflicts like i wonder what about the scene or what about jeffrey yeah because i mean from
1: from what i'm hearing from what I know, just of the script and the little, little I know about this case, I don't see anything that would give me homosexual conflicts. Um, if, he, if he had a son and murdered him differently, that could be one way to indicate. Um, and again, stabbing, you know, can be very sexualized. But that doesn't necessarily mean homosexual conflict. So, I... I'm not going to lie here. I don't know where that came from. Um, You know, and if if I do find out, we can always talk about it in a future episode. The narcissistic need to be famous or infamous. I've been calling since the first paragraph of this call of this case, but um, the homosexual really is, is really interesting other than the stabbing. Maybe it came from interviews. Um, maybe there were slight things around the house that...
0: Oh, yeah. I didn't know about that
1: You know, because when it comes to doing something like that, again, there's
0: always little, little
1: things that can add up. And maybe that's where they got it from. And it was just, it wasn't enough for it to be released to the media, but it was enough for a forensic psychologists to go in and be like, hey, there's this, this, and this in the house. I think that there could be... You know, did they find condoms without, you know, with different semen? Did they find a journal where he wrote disgusting, lewd things about people that were homosexual or, you know, what have you, but it was just never released to the public? That certainly could be, but yeah. I mean, as as of right here... I don't like to say whether people did it or not on this podcast, but I will say that Jeffrey absolutely shows narcissistic tendencies as he was diagnosed. And the word pig is really sticking out to me. And I think that, um, I think the magazine being there, I think was just, he remembers reading it because our, you know, our human memory is very, very fickle. And because it was probably something he had read right before he went to sleep He remembered that the most.
0: Yeah, which could, I mean, and it could always just be a thing where it was a separate, the intruders were separate, you know. Yeah. Unfortunately, we can't know for sure. Um, In going through this case and listening to all the podcasts and watching all the documentaries and reading the books and blah, 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 there's a kind of a prevailing theory that sticks out to me. And that is that after the children went to bed on the night of the 16th, Colette and Jeffrey got in an argument, maybe about the bedwetting. Um, Colette became angry and she struck Jeffrey first, maybe with like a hairbrush. He took the club that was in the room and brutally attacked her, breaking both of her arms, stabbing her multiple times. This would be in the master bedroom. Um, during his attack on Colette, Kimberly, the older daughter, woke up and entered the room so jeffrey murdered her with the club as well before taking her back to her room and stabbing her multiple times to ensure that she was deceased this so far this is tracking with what we know about the blood evidence um kimberly's brain serum was also found on the doorframe of the master bedroom so her being in the head there initially would unfortunately make sense at this point, Jeffrey um, couldn't leave Kristen alive, so he went to her room to kill her. But Colette ran in and threw herself over Kristen. McDonald then stabbed them both multiple times as Kristen was you know, in her bed, and then carried Colette back to their room wrapped in a sheet, which is when that footprint in her blood would have been left. Um, Jeffrey then maybe packed that suitcase that was found on top of the blood, considered leaving I've also seen that maybe at this point in time, he looked out the window and saw Helena Stokely, or not Helena Stokely, the woman, um, and the idea of the intruders came to him, maybe the magazine. Either way, he staged the scene, threw the weapons outside, wrote Pig on the headboard, and gave himself that one single precise stab wound that would injure him, but kill him, and then he called the police. Right, yeah. To me, that theory most explains, and we are not saying that that's what happened, but to me personally, that explains most of that blood evidence. Um, but the horrific thing is, we're likely never know exactly what happened. And this case remains one of the most litigated cases in United States history. Usually, there's a limit on appeals. Jeffrey has appealed his conviction so many times. This case has been seen by just the Supreme Court over seven times. Oh my god. There have been countless TV shows, movies, novels, documentaries, everything about this case. Um, And Jeffrey maintains his innocence to this day, despite still currently being incarcerated. Uh, He's in prison in Maryland. He remarried In 2002, to a paralegal named Catherine, he applied for parole in 2005 and was denied, which meant he had to wait 15 years to apply again. He did apply in 2020, and he was once again denied. Also in 2020, following the COVID-19 pandemic, he applied for compassionate release, which is for prisoners that are older than 70. And at this point, Jeffrey McDonald is nearly 80 years old, and this was rejected The acting U.S. Attorney General said, quote, Today, as always, our minds turn to Colette, Kimberly, and Little Kristen, and to the family and friends whose lives were devastated by their untimely deaths. Our office has sought justice on their behalf for decades. That work continues today, and that work will continue every day until McDonald's efforts to escape justice cease for good, end quote. And I think that that quote is a perfect place to leave this episode yeah absolutely
1: thank you all so much for listening and please send us your thoughts on this case we would love to read them uh be sure to follow us on instagram and twitter at dr crime pod and leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts we can't wait to talk to you next week bye guys